Good morning. How are you doing this morning, River Rock Bible Church? Who is ready for week three of our Margin series? I don't know about you, but it has been personally challenging for me as we've been going through this series, and I've been enjoying it. I hope it's been speaking to you as well. Uh, Before we get into the message this morning, I just want to share an email that I received earlier this week from one of our members, and uh, I I hope it's encouraging to you. As you remember, we're praying this year that God, uh, our theme is, is Make Disciples. Make disciples. And so we, we want to do that in two ways. Number one, we want to start by being made into disciples ourselves. But number two, we want to go into the world where God has placed us, and we want to see men, women, and children put their trust in Jesus Christ and be made into followers of him, that they would be raised up to then go out and make more disciples, not to build our kingdom. It has nothing to do with River Rock Bible Church. We just believe that the most important thing that can ever happen in someone's life is that they would put their trust in Jesus Christ and begin a relationship with him. And so I just want to share this email with you. It comes from Julie Rondeau, one of our members here. Her husband, John, was on the elder board, just rotated off. And Julie says, I I went to Job Seekers Ministry. It's a ministry in Austin at at the church that sent us out that she's a part of. She said, where I regularly help on Monday. As a coach, I meet with newcomers to our ministry and share support and training we give to job seekers, along with talking to them about their job loss, how they're doing mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and if they believe that that God is with them during this time. So she's meeting with people on a regular basis who are down and out. They have lost their job, and they are looking for something, some way to support their family. And this past week, she met a man named Tim. She said, when I asked how he was doing, tears began to fall. I approximate he is in his mid to late 40s. He was recently fired from his job of 15 years. He has five children, and he's going through a divorce, and he's told his wife, Um, The reason he's divorcing is because he's gay. Julie says that I shared with Tim that God created him in his own image and likeness and that God sees him as a beautiful and perfect creation. We then discuss, discuss the fall, which the outcome was sin. And our fallen world was never what God intended for us. And then I shared the opportunity of accepting God's gift of communion with him beginning now through eternity and tears began to subside. I asked Tim if I could share the good news with him and he said yes. Julie then shared the gospel with him and when I asked him if he was ready to accept Christ as his Savior and Lord, he said yes. He said yes. I believe Tim's brokenness was instrumental in acceptance of Christ. However, I can't help believe that his understanding of Christ's unconditional love and acceptance for him was key. I just want to say, what an amazing story. Here's a man who has very little to no hope in his life, begins a relationship with Christ, and is restored and renewed, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Can we give God an amen for that? Can we give God some glory? You guys know that that we said at the beginning of this year, we're praying that God would allow us to see 21 men, women, and children put their trust in Jesus Christ. We've seen one. We've seen one because of the faithfulness of one of our members here at River Rock Bible Church. What is going to be your role in seeing those other 20 come to faith this year? What's going to be your role? Who is in your life that you know that you could sit down and share the gospel with, that they might be a part of that group of people 
who we get to see their eternity change because they began a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's keep challenging ourselves. Uh, This morning, we are in week three of the Margin series, and it's everyone's favorite topic, finances, money. Yeah, everybody loves talking about that, especially preachers. We love the emails we get after we preach about money. They're always so much fun. Uh, well, let me just start this morning by asking you a question. How many of you, you could be honest, I know it's kind of a personal question, but we're in church, so you can't lie. Uh, uh, it is raining, so you may get struck by lightning, I don't know. Uh, let's be honest with each other. We'll be open a little bit, a little vulnerable this morning. How many of you would say from time to time, you feel a little financial stress. Anybody out there? Anybody, anybody feel that from time to time? Yeah, it's, it's normal. It's normal. Look around. Put your hands back up. Put your hands back up. Financial stress. Yeah, the college students, they all have their hands up. You never have enough money in college. That's all right. You don't when you get out of college either. So uh, it's normal. This is just a normal part of our life. It's part of our society that we live paycheck to paycheck. We have monthly payments. We have debt, worry, anxiety, All of this is normal. It leads to fights and tension in our marriage. We have little to no financial margin, and this is normal. This is why at River Rock, we don't like to be normal. We'd rather be weird. We don't want to be normal. We want to be weird. Because life without margin is is not what God desires for us. We've seen already with time that God's desire is that we would have margin built into our lives where we would allow him room to work, room to do things. And many of you have taken that five-minute challenge to be still before the Lord for five minutes a day. And uh, it's impacting lives already. It's impacting lives already. But let's, before we move on, let's talk about the definition of margin. The the series we've been going through is called Margin. We have a definition, and the, the definition of margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. The amount available beyond what is necessary. All right? So if you have, if you make $3,000 a month and you spend $2,500 a month, you have $500 worth of margin, right? You have room there. You're making more than you're spending. If you have, if you make $3,000 a month and you spend three, how much, $3,000 a month, how much margin do you have? Zero. Some of you are like, hey, that's nothing. I make $3,000 a month and I spend $3,500 a month. That's a completely different story. But I, I truly believe that God's desire for us is when it comes to our finances, that we would have margin, that we would have the ability to be financially at rest, that we would have the ability to experience peace in our finances. What does it look like practically to have financial margin? It could be money left over at the end of the month. It is possible. It is possible to have that. Uh, It could be the ability to help someone else who's in need, to give without feeling stress, to do something that you enjoy doing. Here's one of my favorite ones, one that I'm looking forward to someday, having enough margin to purchase time margin. Yeah, if you have financial margin, you can purchase time margin. You can pay someone to clean your house if you have financial margin. You can pay someone to mow your grass. I don't know why you would. I love mowing my grass. I do it a couple times a week because I enjoy it. But you could actually purchase some time margin. But it's, it's really this idea that, that God wants us 
to be at peace and at rest in every area of our life, that we wouldn't have this anxiety, we wouldn't have this worry, that we would be able to come to him and be financially uh, at rest and not anxious or worried or afraid. And that's unfortunately something that most of us do not have, but I believe God wants us to have that. Turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs 21. How many of you remember Dave Ramsey when we all went through that together? I don't know about you, but for me, that was a life-changing experience. I had read the books before and thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. And we started out great for about a week, and then we fell back into our old habits. But there was something about going through it together with a group uh, that, that really changed my wife's and my life. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that coming up here in just a little bit. But let's, let's look together at Proverbs 21.20. It says this, Precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling place of a what? What does it say? In the dwelling place of the, of the wise. But... But what kind of person? A foolish man consumes them all. Leave that verse up there. Precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling place of the wise, but a foolish person consumes them all. A a great way to paraphrase that in our terms would be, in the house of the wise there is margin. In the house of the wise there is more than enough. There is margin. But a foolish person lives paycheck to paycheck. A foolish person goes out and has debt. Now, what I love about this verse, look at it. it. It doesn't say in the house of the wealthy. It doesn't say in the house of the two-income family. It doesn't say in the house of the six-figure income. What's it say? In the house of the wise. There's a wise way to use our money that God has blessed us with, and there is a foolish way to use the money that God has blessed us with. And, and I just love that God tells us and shows us that it's not about how much you make or, or what you don't make or what you have or what you don't have. It's about being wise or, or foolish. And unfortunately for me, I can speak a lot more to the foolish side of things than I can to the wise side of things. But uh, man, just like some of you guys, I am growing and God is, is really uh, showing me that it really is better when we choose to live according to his word and according to his wisdom. When I think about this verse, I've actually really seen this play out before in, in my experience in ministry. There were two families at this church where I was youth pastor, and from time to time we would have youth meetings at the different homes, and we'd have events and things like that in people's homes. And one family, man, you would drive up to their house, a really nice semicircle drive, you know, big house. You drive up in the lawn. You can tell it's professionally manicured. Everything's perfect. You walk up to these big double doors. You ring the doorbell, and it's like this choir of angels sings, and there's like this professional band that they've hired that just lives in their attic that plays music every time you ring the doorbell. And then someone, you know, opens the door, and you're you're immediately struck by the vaulted ceilings, and it's beautiful. You go in their bathroom, and it's this giant jacuzzi tub, double sinks, you know, everything you could ever want in a house. Um, but what you don't know is, uh, as I got to know this family, I found out that they were, they were really struggling financially, that everything on the outside wasn't what it seemed. The house looked beautiful, it looked really nice, uh, but people didn't know that they were, they were really struggling. It was causing fights. In fact, they, they had even talked about divorce because they just couldn't agree on money. The kids were feeling stressed out all the time because mom and dad were always arguing, arguing about money. Now, the second family, 
You walk up to their house. As you drive up, you park in the street because their driveway's in the back. They've got an alleyway behind, but you have to park in the street. But you drive up, and you see that it's it's not a bad yard, but it's definitely lived in, right? You guys know that kind of house. Um, You know, it's, it's mowed, but it's not perfect. You can tell the kids have been playing there. You walk inside, you know, you, you ring the doorbell, and you get a ding-dong, right? You just ding-dong, that's it. Nothing fancy. There's no double doors. They let you inside, and, and you're not struck by the high ceilings. Uh, in fact, I think, I'm pretty sure it was still the popcorn ceiling. You guys love those. Uh, there's no jacuzzi tub. I'm sure if you stuck your hand in there, it went like this really, really fast, you could have a jacuzzi tub. But other than that, it was just a normal bathtub. But there was something about this family that every time you walk in their house, you just felt the lack of tension as you sit on their paid-for couch and watch their paid-for TV that's smaller than the other family has, but it's paid for. And when I would talk to students about, hey, where do you think we ought to do this next event? They would say, oh, we want to go to that. We love going to that house. We love going to that house. And it was as if the students could tell, they could feel the peace and the rest that was in that house because there was a lack of tension. And, and I, I know, because I know behind the scenes how each family was, um, one was struggling and the other one was at rest financially. And I believe that that is God's desire for us, that we would experience that kind of margin. And it, it wasn't just financial margin. It was time margin that this family had, and it was moral margin that they had built into their lives that was allowing them to live at rest, and people could feel it. Man, you could feel it when you walked in the house. You could feel it. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 6 through verse 10. And I think Paul here gives us another example of what it looks like to live with margin and what it looks like to live without margin. He says this, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is what? Is what? Is great gain. Great gain. When When Paul is saying this, man, I think he is getting excited. He's like, godliness with contentment is great gain. This is a huge win. This is big. If you have nothing else in your life, if you have godliness with contentment, you've won. You have won. This is what it looks like to live with margin. And he says, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. And then verse 9, I think he gives us the picture of what it looks like for those who are living without margin. He says, those, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap in many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith, and they have pierced themselves with many pains. They have pierced themselves with many pains, many griefs. What are some of those many pains that we see today that people have pierced themselves with? Debt, financial pressure, stress, tension over money. They're unable to enjoy the blessings that they already have. It's marginless living. It's foolish versus wise. Foolish living versus wise living. And why do so many people trade margin, flexibility, security, peace for these things that don't last? I believe it's because our culture is convincing us of a lie. 
Our culture is convincing us of a lie. They're telling us their definition of what happiness is. You know what the culture's definition of happiness is? You can write this down if you're taking notes. Culture's definition, our culture's definition of happiness is this. More than you currently have. More than you currently have. No matter what you have, if you have just a little bit more, then you'll be happy. And that nothing could be further than the truth because no matter what happens, you get that new car and now it's not enough because guess what? Next year or six months from now, another new car is coming out. You get that brand new house and guess what? Someone else down the street builds a bigger house and now you've got to have that bigger house. It's never enough. But Paul tells us, God in his word tells us that true happiness is being content with what you already have. Being content with what you already have. Our, our world says uh, that whatever you have, it's not enough. If you, if you just had a little more, it would be enough. Then you'd be happy. If you can't afford it, go out and get it because you've got to have it right now. Make payments. You can make payments. And what blows my mind is that there are 20-somethings, people who are graduating college and getting married, and they think that they ought to be living at the same level that their parents are currently living. And they don't realize that their parents have worked for 30 years to get there. But they go out and they're like, well, I need the car, I need the boat, I need the jet ski, I need the house, I need all these things because mom and dad have it. And I don't want to wait 30 years to get it, so I'm just going to go out and get it now, and I'm going to rack up all this debt. And then they find themselves leaving their four-bedroom house, driving in a nice car to a nice restaurant, all the way fighting about money. It's crazy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And sadly, many of us are more blessed than than we've ever imagined possible, but we're also more miserable than we ever thought possible. Why? Because we have lifestyled our way right past margin. What happens? You get a raise, you bring your lifestyle up to meet it. You get another raise, you bring your lifestyle up to meet it. Instead of allowing for that little bit of margin. Let me just say this. We don't have an income problem. Most of us. Most of us do not have an income problem. We have a lifestyle problem. We have a lifestyle problem, and if we get down to it, if we really get down to it, this may offend some of you. It's not a lifestyle problem, it's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. Matthew six nineteen through 21, Jesus says this, He says, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Listen, that's exactly what the world does. The world says, hey, right now is when you need, to be, you need to be gathering stuff for yourself. You need to have all this stuff. But Jesus says, no, the opposite is true. He says, don't focus on the stuff that's here on earth, but collect for yourselves treasures where? A little bit louder. In heaven, where neither moth or, nor rust destroy, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me put that in modern terms. Where you spend your money, your heart will follow. Where you spend your money, your heart will follow. It's true. It's true. We see it all the time. It's, it's crazy. And, and sadly, the average Christian, the average Christian in America gives only 2% to God. That means 98% of what they earn goes to the Lord. 
They give 2% to God and 98% to the world, and they wonder why they crave more of the world, and they're never satisfied with God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. Where you spend your money, there your heart will go. We actually have bought into the lie that more will make us happy. More will make us happy, and we've got to break that cycle. So how do we do it? How do we create financial margin in our own lives? How do we begin to create financial margin? Well, the very simple, practical answer is this. You either earn more or you spend less. You either earn more, spend less, or both, right? It'd be great if we could do both, wouldn't it? Earn more, spend less. But here's the thing. You're a smart group of people. You already knew that. You already knew that. Unfortunately, not many choose to do that. Because what we're talking about is a spiritual problem. Talking about a spiritual problem. So how do we do this? How do we address the spiritual? The way we address the spiritual problem is this. We put God first in our finances. We put God first in our finances. Unfortunately, in our world today, we tend to come first. We go out and we want something, we get it. We buy it. We go and we do it. We buy it now. We do it now. We want it. We get it. It's ours. And then we kind of bring God in at the end of the, deal, end of the deal. If there's anything left, then he can have what's left over. But we have to put God first. Matthew six thirty three. seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Everything you need. Not everything you want, but everything you need, God will take care of if you would only seek him first. And I'm not just talking about the tithe. I'm not just talking about your giving. I mean stopping and and being intimate with God and asking God, is it wise? Is this how you would have me do this? Being prayerful about how you spend your money and, and being close to God, asking God, how do you want me to use what you've given me? How do you want me to use it? God, you've blessed us with a nice home. How do we use it for your glory? How do we put you first? God, this, this car that we have, how do we use it to bless other people? How do we use it to bring you glory? We have to sincerely seek him, his will, and his direction. And when we do, we are going to see some incredible gifts. Because when you put God first, you will experience God's blessing. You will experience God's blessing. Now, again, Uh, This is not just a message about tithing, but I think it's important that we do at least address the tithe. One-tenth, one-tenth of what you make, God says, return to him first and foremost. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, he says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse, that is the church, so there may be food in my house. Now God knows that when his people are reading this, when they're hearing from the prophet Malachi, they're going to say, yeah, I'm going to bring you a a tenth of everything I make and I'm going to be all right. what are you on, God? Like, what's wrong with you? There's no way that's going to work. I need 100% of it. And so he says this, test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Now, 
we're not saying here that if you tithe that you're going to go out and win the lottery. That's not what we're talking about. But here's what we're saying is that when you tithe, you will experience some spiritual blessings like you have never imagined because there is something about coming before God and saying, I'm going to give you the first and the best of what I have. I'm going to give you this first 10% and I'm going to trust you with the other 90% that it's going to be more than enough. There is nothing, there is no more tangible way to build our faith than to tithe. Start with 10%. It teaches us, it trains us that God can do more with 90% than we could ever do with 100%. It is the most tangible and practical way that we can put God first. What forces us to build our lives around Him rather than ourselves. It is the number one thing that we can do, just like when we gave God the first five minutes of our day Those of you who took that challenge, I hope you're still taking that challenge and giving God five minutes of day. And when you set that five minutes aside and you say, okay, today is not going to be about what I have to do. It's going to be about what you want to do. It removes ourselves from the throne and and it puts God back in the number one place where he belongs. And when we tie, that does the exact same thing. We take our wants, our desires, our needs off the throne and we say, God, I'm going to trust you with this 10%. I'm going to return it to you, and I'm going to make you number one. I'm going to build my budget around you. I'm going to build my month around you and what you want me to do. It breaks the power of consumerism and materialism that forces us. It forces us to let go of the things where we have been spending money selfishly. And it forces us to put him first. And I get the question all the time, well, should I wait until I have margin in my life to start tithing? And then my answer to that is no, baby, no. Because when you tithe, it's going to break that very thing that has caused you to get in a position where you have no financial margin. It's going to break that consumerism. It's going to break that materialism because you will have no other choice than to trust God with your finances. And you will see him work in ways like you have never seen him work before. The first thing putting God first does is that it allows us to experience God's blessing. The second thing is when we put God first, we experience Uh, supernatural contentment. We become supernaturally content. When you seek him, when you pray, when you ask for direction, when you ask for his wisdom on how to use your resources, you find yourself becoming supernaturally content. Proverbs 15, 16. What is the first word? What is the first word? Say it out loud. Oh, come on. You guys can do better. It's okay. Talk in church. What's the first word? Better is a little with the, the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. Better is a little. Few people today actually believe that this is true, but this is the word of God and it is true. We say it to our kids all the time in our house. The Bible is God's word and everything in it is true. The Bible is God's word and everything in it is true. Let's say that together. The Bible is God's word and everything in it is true. What does the Bible tell us? Is it, is it, is it worse or is it? Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. Very few people believe that, but it is the absolute truth because it is the word of God. It is better to have a paid-for house than, than a big expensive house with turmoil. It's better to have a car that's old and the paint is fading than one that you can't afford and have that turmoil. It's better. It's better. It's better. Better something paid for without the stress of debt. Better a little with the fear of the Lord. This is what everyone wants. 
but very, very few have. It's better, it's better to do without than to have a lot with turmoil. It is better, 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 better. Not just a a, a little better. Paul says, it's great gain. Great gain, not marginal gain, not sort of kind of gain, but great gain. Great gain. It is better when we can find contentment in God. Many people read this. You look at this verse and you say, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like having the, the nice stuff, the big house, the nice car, eating out regularly. I, I don't know that it's better. That's because you've never tried it. You don't know what it's like. It's better. It's better. And, and I could tell you from my own experience, my own foolishness, it is absolutely better. It is absolutely better. So uh, I don't know that I can afford to preach on finances anytime soon uh, because God has this funny way that anytime I'm about to preach, he always has a way of teaching me lessons uh, to, to help me understand his word and apply it first to my own life. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, my son Malachi is crying as he's putting on his shoes because they're hurting his feet. And we bought these shoes at the beginning of the school year back in August, and it's less than a month, and now he has outgrown his shoes that we just paid $50 for that are like this big. Like, I don't even pay $50 for my full-grown man-sized shoes, and here we are paying $50 for these shoes, and we've got to go buy new shoes. We've got to go buy new shoes. But... Amanda and I had built margin into our lives. We had set aside some money for clothing. So we just went and we paid cash. We found some shoes for 20 bucks out of our clothing budget. Then this week, I'd take my wife's car in to get her oil changed and, and an alignment done. And they said, we can't do the alignment. I was like, why not? What's going on? They said, well, the problem is you need two brand new tires, at least, maybe four. And I was like, okay, well, what's the quote on the tires? And they once they picked me up off the floor, uh, I was like, I'm going to go get another quote for two tires. And, uh, you know, I go down the street and, and I get a different quote. And I look at that. It's like, okay, let me go home and pull out my envelope. Dave Ramsey would be proud. I pull out my envelope for car repairs and I start counting through. It's like, hey, we got the cash to cover that. So we go and we pay for that. And then the very next night, I'm working on my message and my computer goes, Pew! computer goes down. Thankfully, it was just the charger that had died, and, you know, the laptop was good, but I had to go buy a new charger. And guess what? I went to the envelope, and I counted out. I was like, all right, I got enough for a charger. Why? And let me just tell you this. A year ago, we would have been freaking out about where this money was going to come from. We probably would have put the car tires on the credit card and gone into debt and been paying it off. But what happened? What happened? We began building margin into our lives. We began following God's principles when it comes to money and and planning and preparing that we would have margin built in. We're able to pay cash for it. Guess what? I fell asleep like that every night this week. A year ago, I would have been up trying to figure out, like, whose yard on our street I could mow in order to make some money to buy some tires. But we built margin into our lives, and, and I can tell you it is better. It is better. 
when we build that margin into our lives, we experience God's blessing, we become supernaturally content, and thirdly, we end up with more of what matters. We end up with more of what matters. We may not have what everyone wants, but we will have what no one has spiritually. Proverbs 8, 18 through 19 says, With me are riches and honor, lasting wealth and righteousness. My fruit is... Oh, you guys fell asleep on me. My fruit is better than solid gold, and my harvest is better than pure silver. Is it worse? No, it's better. It's better. When we come to God and we put him first, we end up with more of what matters. When we seek him first, we find that our lives will be filled with things that matter, things that are better instead of things that won't. When you have financial margin, you'll get to spend time with people that you love. You'll get to invest in the things that are most important. You will stop consuming and you will start being a producer when it comes to the things that matter most in life. You will be rich relationally. You'll be rich in the investments that you make spiritually. And instead of consuming, you'll start contributing. Can I just tell you that I have absolutely not one single emotional story about consuming. Like, I don't have a story of, I walked in the store and and that pair of boots that I wanted, they were 30% off. They were 30% off. Not a single story like that. But I can tell you, I can tell you, I have many, many stories that will bring emotion into my life when I talk about giving. And I talk about the time, the first time God allowed us to, to give a car away to a family. The time that God blessed us with a tax return that, that we had intended to use for something else, but we were able to give it to a young man who was coming out of prison and needed a car to be able to get a job. And we were able to give that to him, and he was able to buy a car. I can tell you about the time when we were in the, in the time when we were still living paycheck to paycheck, but we got letters from some of our former students who were going on a mission trip. And it wasn't much. It was $50, but it was between, it was between sending money to send someone on a, on a mission trip or, or eating out that month. And we made the sacrifice, and we got to send one of our students on a mission trip. And they wrote us back and told us about the lives that were changed because of the work that they did while they were overseas. I can tell you, that those are the things that stick with me. Those are the memories that matter. Those are the times in my life when I understood and I put God first and I ended up with more of what matters. Um, Amanda and I have not always lived this way. And if I preach somewhat passionately about this, it's because my heart aches for those who are caught in the bad trade. It really does. I know how awful it is to have that feeling, to have that stress, to argue about money. And I know what it is to live with margin. And I can tell you, when you put God first in your finances, it will be unlike anything you have ever experienced. I got an email a couple weeks ago, right after we started the the five-minute challenge, I got an email from a mom, very busy mom, Uh, She said, I just wanted to share with you my thoughts on the five-minute challenge and our daily reading. All of us have things that we need to get done every single day and things that we would like to get done. I feel like when I give God my time first and allow him to feed me spiritually, he doesn't take that lightly. He knows what my day has in store for me, and he doesn't say, wow, you got a lot to do today. Go with me and good luck. 
Let me know how your day went in your bedtime prayers. I feel like I am smarter with my time. I prioritize better and I'm better able to see what I have to do versus what can wait. It's the same thing with tithing. Give your first fruits to God. Uh, give your first fruits to God and he doesn't fail and it doesn't get wasted. It helps us have a mindset of managing better that which he has given us. Just wanted to share with you, I'm enjoying all of us reading together. Renee. It's coming from a mom who's got a lot on her plate. And she's saying, look, when I give God the first part of my day, the rest of the day comes in line and everything gets done. And the same is true with our finances. When we put God first, there will be more than enough. There will be more than enough. Let me ask you this morning. How many of you this morning would say, I'm done? I'm done. Uh, I, I'm done. I want to put God first in my finances. It's okay. Just raise your hand right now. And you say, I'm, today, I'm committing. I'm going to put God first. Okay, put your hands down. Here's what's really sad. When I asked at the beginning, how many of you feel financial stress, almost every single hand in the room went up. And when I asked how many of you were willing to make changes, only a few hands went up. And it's sad because many of you still do not believe that it is better. It is better to walk with the Lord and to put Him first. I want to challenge you. Put God to the test. He says, test me. He says, test me. I, w- I want you to take a challenge for three months. Put God first in your finances. Spend time praying how He would have you spend your money. If He says, hey, give 4% instead of 10%, do it. Whatever He tells you, put Him first and see if the blessings don't begin to pour out in your life. See if you don't find yourself being supernaturally content with what you already have. And see if you don't find yourself ending up with more of what really matters. I'd like to pray for us right now and uh, just ask God to be with us this week as we put him first. Lord, we do ask that you would be first in our finances, that you would be first in our time, and that you would allow us to build margin into our lives in every area. Lord, our prayer is that you would give us wisdom, discernment, and humility when it comes to putting you first in every area of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to do something that I don't normally do. And we've talked about finances. We talked a little bit about debt this morning. And let me just tell you this. It doesn't matter if you go home and you decide that you're going to put God first in your finances, that you're going to give everything to the Lord today, sell your house, and you're going to follow Him. It does not matter unless you first have a relationship with Jesus Christ, his son. And the Bible tells us that every single one of us has a debt that we could never pay back, and that is our sin debt. That every single one of us is fallen and broken, and we have a debt that we cannot pay, but that debt was paid for us by God's very son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life and died on the cross and shed his blood for me and you, and that simply by trusting in him, we can be saved and our debt is forgiven for all eternity. We have eternal life. I don't know where you are this morning. I'm going to ask our elders that are here in the room this morning, if you would just go stand back by the connections table. If you're here this morning and you say, I still have that debt. I have not put my trust in Jesus Christ. But I know that I want my debt forgiven. And I want to put my trust in Jesus Christ. If that is you this morning, in just a moment, 
we're going to be taking communion together. And I would encourage you during, during the song as we sing and as people are up moving, find one of our elders. They'll be back here in the back. And just say, I want to put my trust in Jesus. Or I have questions about what it looks like to trust in Jesus. Because nothing else that you could ever do, you cannot earn your way into heaven. You cannot earn God's forgiveness by giving all your money or showing up on Sunday morning or doing good things. It's simply by trusting and resting in Christ and Christ alone. So if that's you this morning, don't wait, don't hesitate. Find one of the men in the back.